The New Testament is new covenant. That's what it means. We live under a new covenant. What is a covenant? Covenant is the highest form of a legal agreement. It is the highest and most binding form of a legal agreement. When you buy or sell a house today, you get a stack of papers sometimes thicker than this. Why? Because they're trying to make a binding legal agreement. Well, God can swear by no one higher than himself. And so he does. And he keeps covenant. God has never broken a covenant. God has never violated a covenant. And God works through covenant. In the Old Testament, when two men would make a covenant, there was a great ceremony that would take place. And in a covenant, there would be, let's say if I became covenant brothers with Ansel, we would exchange names. There would be an exchange of names. There would be an exchange of gifts. There would be an exchange of garments. <laughs> he would take off his coat. I would take off my coats. We would exchange coats. When my friend visited from Africa, he said, we just have one shirt. You know, you know Billy Blue shirt and Michael White shirt and so-and-so yellow shirt. You know, you just have one shirt. You just know the guy, see him across town because he's got that shirt on. Well, if you exchange shirts, you're known by. Joseph had a coat of many colors, many colors. Well, how was he known? He was known by that. He didn't have seven coats. He had one coat, coat of many colors. And so there was an exchange of garments. Sometimes they would exchange shoes. One shoe would, would exchange. Rings often would be exchanged. There would be a covenant meal. Furthermore, there would be an exchange of blood. Frequently, they would cut their hands. Each one would cut their hands, and they would shake hands and mingle blood. That's why a handshake is an important gesture. Many cultures have a covenant ceremony. They all differ slightly, but they're all very, very, very vital and very important. Weapons, exchange of weapons. I would take off my armor belt and give him my armor belt. He would exchange his, or shield, sword, things like that. Horse, a lot of things. So, and then there would be these great vows. Ansel would vow to fight all my battles. I would vow to fight all his battles. He would vow to help pay all my bills. I would vow to help pay all his bills. We would just be tight, everything. And then there would be the curses. If we or one of our descendants or one of our family members violates this covenant, then off with his head and vile, vile curses for anyone who would break this covenant. A covenant was an incredibly powerful event. The closest thing that we have in our modern day vernacular is a marriage ceremony. What happens when a man and woman are married? There are witnesses, right? It is done before God. There is an exchange of rings. There's an exchange of names. There is a, a meal, often following the wedding, where they feed each other a lot of times. Again, that's part of this covenant ceremony, is exchange of gifts. So a lot of things speak of covenant in the, in the marriage ceremony. Exchange of vows. Prenups. <laughs> okay, here's a story from a few hundred years ago. But when, when Stanley was looking for Livingston, Livingston is traveling through the, the jungle, and Livingston starts to get ill because he's traveling, he's been going miles and miles, and he's been going for months and months. Livingston is an Englishman, and he is not doing well on native <laughs> food. 
He's used to his butter and beets and, and he's used to his food. Livingston, as he's going through in his explorations, begins to live on goat's milk because this is the richest food he can find. And so he's got a goat that he goes around with. And this goat is providing him with the milk that he's living on. And he's, he's not doing so well, but that goat is pretty much his life source, the goat's milk. Now, he comes into this region, and the way that he's able to go from region to region is that he has to make a covenant with each chief. He cut covenant with chiefs tens of times, something like 30 times, something like that. He had to do this ceremony so that he could pass through the different areas because there would be a chief and he would be in charge and either you're my enemy or you're my friend and if you're my friend, you're going to be my friend all the way. We're going to covenant. And so he had to sit down with these chiefs all the way through. Story tells that he comes into the toughest chief, the toughest tribe in the whole area. This guy is the baddest of the baddest. And he sits down with that chief to make a covenant. The interesting thing about covenant here also is that they were allowed to have a stand-in. Now, did we cut covenant with God or did our stand-in cut covenant with God? Our stand-in, Jesus did. Very interesting. So you're allowed to have a stand-in. So Livingston and the chief sit down for a covenant ceremony and their stand-ins both are, are cut and exchange blood. Livingston stand-in does it and the chief stand-in does it. Now it's time for gifts and the chief gives Livingston a copper-wound spear. And Livingston is thinking, gee, fabulous, just what I needed, a big, heavy, hanging spear. This is doing me no good whatsoever. This is really just going to weigh me down. I'm not, thank you very much. He's giving us a spear. Thank you. Tell him I'm very pleased. Then the chief gets to choose his gift. And the chief says, looks around, says, I want the goat, which is where the expression comes from, got your goat. Interesting. And so the chief wants the goat. And Lewis is going, I get a spear for a goat. Keep smiling, you know. This stinks. I got taken here. Livingston's got to give the goat or he's going to give his neck. Livingston gives him the goat and because the chief says, I can see that that's the most, most, the most valuable thing to you. I, you know, I got goats, but you don't have anything else that's really that important, but I want what's most important to you. Interesting story. Has God ever said, I don't want your checkbook. I want your time. Where God just says, I don't want your this or that. I want this from you. That from me. And the chief asked for the goat. Well, Livingston gave him the goat. Then Livingston moves on from there. He comes to the next tribe, and he knows the formalities and stuff like that, and they, they go up to have their very first meeting, and he meets his first tribe, and the whole tribe just goes, <laughs> lays down, just bows down before him. They're all bowing down. What are they doing? Why are they bowing down for us? I thought they were going to try to kill us. So, you know, we're going to have to cut a covenant. Why are they all bowing down? They saw the chief's spear. He was in covenant with the baddest chief in the whole area. And everybody went down before him, and he just had smooth sailing for a long ways because of that. Didn't have to be he's in covenant with that guy. Right on through. So what happens when the devil comes knocking on your door? Who are you in covenant with? Jesus. What happens when you go for a new job interview? You're in covenant with Jesus. You're in covenant when you go into new lands, new territories, new places, new, pla new people. 
You're in covenant with Jesus. You're in covenant with Jesus. Doesn't matter the size of the devil. You're in covenant with Jesus. The name above all names. King of all kings. Lord of lords. God works through covenant. God makes covenant with man. So, we start out with the Edenic covenant. And so, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, if you'll go there. God works through covenant. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Why does God use the plural our? Let us. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock. Wait a second. Does man does what? Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. I thought we were one with the great cosmos. No, we rule over this stuff. Man was put in charge of and over. Man is over. No, we're just the same as the great whale, and we're just, it's just as important that we save a tree. Man is the crowning achievement of God's creation, and man rules over all of it. Somebody wanted to cut down a tree in our neighborhood, and the, the city stopped them because the tree has feelings. Err, err. Wrong. Man is, to rule over, man is to rule over all these things. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Man is created in the image of God. Man is not God, but man is created in the image of God. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. I heard that there was overpopulation, and so we've got to do all these drastic measures and, and kill all the babies in China. Wrong. God said, fill the earth. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The whole overpopulation thing is based on a feeling of lack, that there is just not enough resources to go around in all the earth, and so we just have to start killing babies. Wrong. Now, there's a bad, poor distribution of the resources of the earth. Certainly, uh, there could be a better distribution of the resources in the earth, but there are plenty of resources. There are paying farmers in the Corn Belt not to grow corn. We are paying farmers not to grow soybeans. We are paying farmers in the Midwest not to grow things so that we can keep the prices up. There's no lack. There's no lack of food. There is a distribution problem, but there's no lack of resources. In India, where they have the worst problems with, with hunger and things like that, rats eat an estimated one-third of the food supply every year. Why? Because rats are holy. In the Hindu culture, a rat might be your uncle. A rat might be your grandfather that died. And he comes because if you believe in reincarnation, which they all do, that you know, if you're a mosquito, you really had a lousy life. Pre or lousy pre-existent life. And so you're reincarnated as a mosquito or a rat. But if you did well, you know, maybe you're a cow. Nuts! <laughs> Nuts! So the problem is the gospel. They don't have the gospel. They don't have the truth. The problem is the wrong religion. The problem is the wrong religious system. The problem is on our side, not on God's side. Communism. Communism impoverishes people. Russia had resources. And then they went into communism, people had to wait in lines for 50 hours to get a pair of shoes. 
communism doesn't work. The free market system works. When the pilgrims landed on the American shore, they had sort of a communistic system. It didn't work. But when they gave each person a plot of land and said, whatever you grow over and above the necessity is yours to keep or sell. Wow, all of a sudden they had bumper crops because free enterprise works. Okay. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. Many historians believe that animals did not chew on each other Lions did not eat zebras until after the flood. It says that they, the plants and the green food were given to the animals. We don't have any record of that, but it's possible. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Chapter 2. Let's go to verse 15. And the Lord God took man, put him in the garden of Eden, and gave him instructions. In every covenant, there is man's part and God's part. We're starting to hear in the Edenic covenant, man's part. What was man supposed to do? Verse 15. What was he supposed to do? Take care of the garden. He said, work it and take care of it. God planted. God made a beautiful garden. And he said, Adam, here you go, son. Take care of this garden. Rule over it. Take care of it. Work it. Keep it. Take care of it. Adam had a job. He was a caretaker. Adam's job. What, now, if you're a caretaker of a garden, remember Bill Murray? He was a caretaker of a golf course. <laughs> What did he have to keep out of that golf course? Keep gopher. <laughs> well, you also have to kill gophers. You have to kill slugs, snails, aphids. I have to fend off squirrels in my garden, sometimes rats. Is it, is it man's job or is it woman's job in the house to kill spiders? <laughs> you have all male children. It is, the, it is the male job to kill the spiders in the house, generally. Well... It's Adam's job to deal with the serpent, isn't it? In the country, what do you do if a poisonous snake camps out by your doorstep? You kill it. You kill it quick. You don't just go out the back door for three weeks. No, you kill the snake. Man was given dominion. All right, I get it. So to deal with the spiders, I'm supposed to deal with these things. I have dominion over the animals and it's our job to kill the aphids, to kill the spiders, to kill the gophers, to kill the to kill the slugs and the snails. You're not brothers with the slugs and the snails. You put slug and snail bait out in around your garden to keep them out. And if you don't, there are problems. So, it means that you choose what lives and dies in your realm. Do you know that your body kills a million germs every day? Millions of germs. Your body is killing stuff. And if it stops killing stuff, your body dies. It is the job and function of your immune system to kill germs all the time. When the germs get too many, you're sick. And when the germs get way too many, you're dead. There is a battle going on all the time. Get this. Your job is to kill stuff, to kill bad stuff, and there is a war going on all the time. Get used to the fact that there is a war going on. Get used to the fact that there is a battle. There's a devil, he doesn't like you, and he's out to kill you. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's trying to destroy things in your life. He's trying to kill you personally, and 
He's trying to steal your stuff. There is a battle and it goes on all the time. Get used to it and get good at winning and fighting the battle. Pray as if there is a battle and pray effectively and pray with the name of Jesus. And if you don't take this attitude, you won't take the ground that you're supposed to take. The Old Testament is all about this. And the Lord God said, go in there and wipe them all out and kill them all. And they didn't wipe them all out, and they left 10% of them, and 10% of them became their servants. And then the, the 10% that became their servants also taught them all their bad religions, and it came full circle and messed them up. But when they went in there and wiped them all out, God said, good job, keep going, that's your land now. Dwell in it safely and peacefully. Don't think that the Old Testament is all weird and blood and guts. Your body is fighting germs and killing them by the millions every day. And you're taking antibiotics and you're taking things like this all the time and you're putting slug and snail bait out. Keep going. And your dashboard kills moths and stuff like that all the time. Keep going. And God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So Adam has a job. Adam has what he's supposed to do and what he's not supposed to do. Then verse 24, it says, For this reason man will leave his father and his mother to be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. I'm going to stop here too. Men are to leave their father and their mother. Women are to leave their father. And the couple are to become one flesh and to make their own family and not to be ruled by their parents anymore. And the mother-in-law doesn't get to make any rules. And father-in-law doesn't get to make any rules. The couple is to make their own rules. And when mom and dad want to see them, it doesn't mean that forever Christmas is still at mom's house. The new couple gets to make their own rules and raise their own kids. And if grandma and grandma want to come over and see them, then they can come over quietly and respectfully and nicely. <laughs> and they can be polite and shut up. And they can bless the new family. And the husband and wife still need to be honoring mother and father, but they're to become one flesh and make their own new family. It's important to say that stuff because uh, moms for centuries want to keep their sons in the family and have Christmas at my house forever. And mothers tend to do that and want their daughters to be home for Christmas and with all the kids and surround mom. Well, yes and no. You know, you want to honor your mother and father, but you want to start your own family, create your own traditions. And I just had a phone call this, this last week. Pastor, you know, we don't really go to your church that much, but, you know, I want you to... Actually, I don't go to your church at all, and my son, who doesn't... You don't even know. He has this problem. And da-da-da-da-da, and it was about family relations, and it was about uh, the other side of the family getting over and, and just crossing boundaries. This new couple, this new marriage, they need to set some firm boundaries. Well, I'll, I'll have him call you. I'll have him call you. Well, I'll just tell him he needs to set firm boundaries. Well, he never called, but mom probably told him. Pastor said, <laughs> you need to set some firm boundaries. And uh, thank God I've got a strong wife, you know, because she helped me set some firm boundaries and push my mother-in-law off. And, and, and her father had to do the same thing with, with the mother-in-law and different things like that. And, you know, just families have got to do that. You've got to kind of respect one another, love one another, honor one another, and not control one another. A man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is really interesting. They've just no consciousness 
of sin yet. They have no consciousness yet of good and evil. They're, they're like little babies that run, run around the house naked. They're just absolutely fine with it. They, they, don't, they don't see anything wrong with this, right? They don't see anything going on. Yet, when they did eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and their eyes were open, they knew that they were naked. One possibility is that they were able to see into the demonic realm. They were able to see into the spiritual realm. There's a gift called discerning of spirits. It doesn't mean discernment. It doesn't mean sort of a wisdom or anything like that. It means you can see angels and demons. When the Spirit of God moves, someone who has the gift of discerning of spirits can often see a spirit on somebody that's causing that illness and then has the power in the name of Jesus to cast that particular spirit off. Often someone who has a gift of discerning of spirits will see angels or will see demons. Interestingly enough, many of us as children were scared out of our pajamas because we actually did see a demon. Kids have nightmares, have, have things you know, go on in their room, and they come running into mom and dad's room, they saw something. Parents, many times, now you guys are equipped to deal with this. Little Johnny, you, you, we have the name of Jesus, let mom and dad go back in that room and let's use the name of Jesus and let's deal with it. Well, what happens is that we learn to shut that off, man. We learn to shut that down. We don't want to see that no more. We don't want to think about that no more. And when we close our eyes, we think about something else and la, 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 you know, I'm going to sleep. And I'm not going to think about anything of this, like this. You know, I'm not going to think about monsters in the closet or anything like that. But what happens is that you know, we really are spiritual beings having an earthly experience. We are not fleshly beings having spiritual experiences. We're a spirit who has a soul who lives in a body. The real me is a spirit who has a soul who lives in a body. The real you is a spirit. Their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked. They went and they hid. Who did they hide from? God wasn't there yet. Maybe they hid from the things that they could now see. We wouldn't necessarily have to hide from... God wouldn't look at them lustfully. God wouldn't be scary, necessarily. But there was something scary that they were hiding from and covering up from. I'm not saying that that's necessarily the only translation of that scripture, but I think it's something to think about. So, God, after they have sinned, who goes looking for them? God looks for them. Were they trying to reconcile with God? No, God initiates reconciliation. This all prefigures Jesus Christ. God initiates the reconciliation. God calls out for them. God seeks them. Then God makes the sacrifice. God made skins to cover them. Blood was shed for the very first sin. Again, we're, we're seeing the blood covenant. We're seeing all these patterns that start right here in Genesis. You'll see throughout the rest of the Bible. And so God has to make coverings. So God sacrifices. God makes the rules. God sees the problem. God initiates the redemption. God pays for it with animals, with the animals' lives. God makes the covering, and God is satisfied. This all points to Jesus. God saw the need. God sent his son. God paid the price. God shed the blood. God received the sacrifice. And God says, do you accept these terms? Same thing as he did with Adam. Man broke the deal and God came to man. So now there's a new set of rules. 
God says, now we, gotta have to, we have to play by a whole new set of rules. You're out of Eden. I'm closing the door to Eden. I'm going to set a, a cherub. So we, it's interesting he uses the word cherub there. We used to think of these little bitty, round, fuzzy guys, little, you know, little, naked, little naked kids, you know. <laughs> well, this is one bad little naked kid <laughs> because, because he's been protecting that place for 2,000 years or 6,000 years, and, and, and he's, he's doing a good job of it. So now we're out of Eden, and now we come into the Adamic covenant. And God says, new rules. New rules, Adam. Adam, it's now you're a farmer, and you're going to receive from the toil of the ground, and the ground's going to come up with thistles and thorns and all that kind of stuff. Thistles and thorns weren't in, weren't in Eden, weren't in the garden that God planted. But there's thistles and thorns and slugs and snails, and you're going to have to work. You're going to have to work the ground. And that's, that's the, new, the new, uh, new set of rules. You're going to work the ground. And he says to Eve, childbirth is not going to be easy. Childbirth is going to be difficult. The new set of rules that you're going to work out of. Now we're under the new set of rules. We're under the Adamic covenant. Now Adam and Eve have Cain and Abel. They have two boys. Cain and Abel bring offerings before the Lord. Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, his face was downcast, and he kills his brother. This was a big, this is really interesting. It's interesting, the narrative doesn't tell us that which, which offering God wants. The narrative doesn't give us that. But we do see that God shows, I like the animal offering more than the grain offering. And we see that pattern through the rest of the Bible, that, that God wants, that God receives a blood sacrifice as the atonement for sin. I could go so far as to say, what does God use for money in heaven? You know, God who paves the streets with gold, blood is what pays for things. When you have a debt to God, it's settled with blood. Now you know the answer. Now you know what, what God wants. Well, Cain doesn't like this, and Cain gets, gets upset, and Cain kills Abel. But Cain could have learned from this and used his crops and bought a lamb and brought it the next time or bought it that time or asked God, God, what would you like? Hey, we're coming to your birthday party. What are we, we're, coming to your, we're coming to your event. We're coming to bring offerings to you. What do you want? We could have that attitude, couldn't we? Sometimes we get to certain places and we can see that it's not really, not really working with God. We're not, really, we're not really getting somewhere with God. It's not for us to get mad at God. It's for us to go back to God and say, where do I need to change, Lord? My prayers aren't pushing through in this area. How, how should I change? What am I doing wrong? I asked God to sell a house for six months while I paid $3,000 a month out of savings and almost ran out of savings. And I could tell my, my prayers were just bouncing off the ceiling. I could just feel that this isn't getting anywhere. And finally, God said, I'm not going to sell that house for you. I was asking God to do something. You can't make God do something. And so if you've got the wrong prayer, ask God what the right prayer is. He finally told me. He would have told me the first day, but I wasn't listening. So he told me, I'm not going to do it. And then I figured out, oh, wait a second, it's, I'm supposed to do it. And in a week, I got it sold. <coughs> Cash in the bank. Closed escrow. Yeah. Seven days and a closed <laughs> escrow. It's a miracle, total miracle. Most escrows take 30 days. Not only did I find a buyer, I closed escrow 30 days, in seven days. Seven days, it was in my account. It was done. That was a total miracle. 
I didn't get mad at God. I didn't get mad at God. My prayers were not being answered. It wasn't God's fault. It's never God's fault. Never blame God. So we get a new kid. Cain kills Abel. Cain, Cain is cursed. We get a new kid. Who's the new kid? Seth is the new kid. Noah and, and Abraham are his descendants. Cain's lineage becomes wiped out in the flood. So Cain gets cursed, but Cain, Cain doesn't finish. Cain's kids are gone in the flood. So now we get to Noah, the Noahic covenant. Let me just say a couple things so we, we can run out of time. We go from the Edenic covenant to the Adamic covenant. We go to Adam's descendants, and we get to Noah. In Noah's time, the earth was filled with violence, and God says, I'm done with this group. You guys are just nothing but sinners. You're violent, and the earth is filled with your violence. I'm not going to have any, any more of it. And God found a guy named Noah and told him to build an ark when it had never rained. Noah is a hero, a huge hero. He builds this giant 100, 100 and something foot ark that's three stories tall, 450 feet long. And he builds this and he takes his entire lifetime to build it. His entire lifetime to build this thing. And his kids work on it with him. And I'm sure he's just ridiculed all his life. But he, he does this. And leading up to this guy, one guy in between him and him is a guy named Methuselah. Methuselah lived some 900 and something years, and his name means when he dies, it will come. In the year Methuselah died, the rains came. Dies, it will come. Methuselah is an example of God's grace. Methuselah lived, in other words, God's grace was measured in his lifetime. God's grace was nearly a thousand years long. When he dies, it will come. God's fed up with this mess. God's fed up with this bunch. God wants to wipe him out, but he says, Methuselah, when he dies, it will come. And Methuselah is the guy who lives the longest, showing God's grace. All the animals go in, and God closes the, the door of the ark, and then the waters come and lift it up. Interesting stories, archaeologically, um, Turkey will not allow, the country of Turkey will not allow any uh, archaeological expeditions on Mount Ararat, but when... Uh, when they've had particularly warm summers, people who live at the base of that mountain said, we've seen it. We've seen it. The old guys have said, oh yeah, we've seen it. We've seen the ark. It's covered up with snow most of the time. Yeah. But, they said, but the, old guys in, the old guys in the village said, well, yeah, we've seen it. It's right about. So when Noah gets off the ark, God blesses Noah and his sons and says, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Again, there's that commission, fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea and they are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Which is why people say, you know, this is when people start eating animals and animals start eating each other. Just as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and, every, and from each man, too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. In other words, if somebody kills a man, there's an accounting for that. Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has made man. In other words, man is important. Man is important. He didn't say this about the animals. He said this about man. Because you're made in the image of God. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant, 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 
with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, the wild animals, all those that come out of the ark with you, every living creature on the earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all the life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds. The rainbow is God's covenant. The rainbow is God's miracle. The rainbow is a miracle that God shows us his covenant with us. That he says, it will never be another flood to wipe out the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and rainbow appears in the cloud, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. God reminds himself of the covenant all the time. Then God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I established between me and you and all the life of the earth. And then also in that same covenant is where he says, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter shall never cease. Thank you. Verse 22. The law of seed time and harvest is established right here. This is one of the most powerful laws you can possibly put into motion. The law of seed time and harvest. It will work. It is a covenant that's in place. Every time you see a rainbow, all the seed you're sowing is there for you. You're going to get a harvest. Seed time and harvest. The law of seed time and harvest. As long as the earth remains, this powerful law can be applied. I, I tell you, if, if you want to prosper and to get a hold of this law, seed time and harvest, and sow, 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 sow to stretch yourself. I mean, really stretch yourself and sow. Test me now in this. See if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there may not be room enough to contain it. This works. I live by it. Okay, and who's Noah's son? That goes on. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness. Ham and the Canaanites, they don't do so good. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it across their shoulders. So it's Shem. Blessed be the God of Shem, verse 26. And may Canaan be the slave of Shem. Let's look at Luke chapter 3, 23 through 37. We're going to read backwards from 37. We're finding out where Joseph's lineage is. It starts with God, Adam, Seth. I'm in verse 38. Then in verse 36, Noah, Shem. Verse 33, we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Perez, Hezron, Ram, Abinadab. Reading backwards. 32, we go to Jesse, David. And then I think this is interesting. It goes Jesse, David, not Solomon. It goes Nathan. Well, these are jo this is Joseph's lineage. I think maybe one other, the Matthew one, may trace the lineage of Mary. This traces the lineage of Joseph. My main point is that when these guys live this long, they're able to, to bring the story of Noah and the story of creation all the way to Moses in a relatively, I think it's only like 12 generations. So it's very, very interesting. Uh, next page.